Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to have you join us today, and uh, so glad that you could check in with us online. And uh, yeah, these are just crazy days as we continue to sort out these things, but I'm glad that we could meet together at least this way, and that we could worship and appreciate Ron and uh, leading us in worship, Ron and Andy, and great to see uh, the Robinsons and the Van Clinkins, uh, good friends of our family, and I just miss hanging out with those guys. And so uh, it's just nice to see faces, isn't it? And so I hope you're doing well. Maybe uh, you're joining us from different areas uh, off the Sunshine Coast. Welcome. Maybe some old friends connecting in or family or different things like that. Hey, we just want to just want to welcome. Glad that you could join us. And uh, we're this morning. We're in a series in the book of Joshua. And so we're going to be in Joshua chapter three. You can grab your Bible and turn there. And just as you're doing that, uh, let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer as we get into God's word. All right, let's do that. Lord, we just thank you that we can uh, gather in this way, Lord. We thank you that in the midst of everything that's happened in the world, that um, you've provided an option for the church to be able to share the gospel of Jesus, that you've provided an option for us still to be able to connect with one another on this level. And so, Lord, we just, uh, we thank you for that. God, we ask uh, just your blessing. I pray your blessing over each uh, person today, Lord, that your spirit would just meet them right where they're at, Lord, that they would find strength and hope and encouragement in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would be built up with the word of God this morning, that we would be strengthened as we worship together and even as we pray and see faces. And Lord, just as we come to your word this morning, God, we want to thank you for the written word of God because we love it. We love it because it leads us to the living word of God, Jesus. And Jesus, that's our desire today to meet with you, to get to know you better, Lord. And so, Lord, we just ask your blessing upon this time and your word that your spirit would speak to every heart and every mind, Lord. I pray for every person just checking in today, Lord, that your spirit would have something special and unique for them, Lord, that their hearts would be touched and strengthened and encouraged. And so, Lord, would you bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you're just checking in, we are in Joshua chapter 3. You can turn there in your Bible. This is this great story of God's people coming into, entering into their inheritance in the Lord, that which was promised to Abraham, a, a, a promised land. And it's amazing as we turn from this, turn to this text this morning, when we were in Joshua chapter 2 last week, we looked at the faith of one single individual, the faith of a woman in Jericho by the name of Rahab. Well, this morning as we come to Joshua chapter 3, we're going to turn our attention from one single individual to the faith of an entire nation, an entire nation that was located just across the river from Jericho, just across uh, the valley on the other side, and they were waiting to enter into their destiny. They were waiting to enter into their inheritance in the Lord, into the land of promise. And so, you know, when I think about Joshua chapter 3 and 4, really, this Joshua chapter 3 and 4 recount the story of Israel entering into the promised land. This morning, we're just going to look at Joshua chapter 3. We're going to pick up with Joshua chapter 4. And so it's interesting because one chapter is looking from one side of the river and then the second chapter, chapter four, is looking back from the other side of the river once the crossing has been accomplished. But this, is, this story is one of the most significant events in the history of God's people, the children of Israel. When they cross from the wilderness into their promise, into their inheritance in the Lord, in the land of Canaan, 
And this was at the heart of God's promise to Abraham and Abraham's descendants. The, the generations that followed Abraham, the generation that we're going to read about in this text today, this was their expectation. This was their hope. This was the longing of their hearts to enter into that which God had promised them and that he had for them. And so this is a really significant event. This is a significant chapter of scripture. And I would say it's not just significant for the children of Israel. It's significant for you and I. This is, this is an important text because of what it represents. And I guess to get at the heart of what it represents, I should maybe just mention what it doesn't represent. Because here's what it doesn't represent, okay? It, it's, this is not the illustration of someone passing from this life, crossing the Jordan, passing from this life into eternity. You know, there's kind of those old songs out there in church and, and, and in the spirituals, you know, the old spiritual songs that, that, that present this idea of crossing the Jordan and we're entering into eternity. But that is not the picture of Joshua chapter 3. In fact, this il- what this is illustrating is the passing of God's people from one level of living into a new level of living. You know, the passing of a Christian um, from one level of experience with the Lord to a new level of experience with the Lord. It marks, I would say, the end of the self-life and entrance into the Christ-centered life. That's what I would say. It's entering into promise. It symbolizes the, the end of a life lived on the principle of human effort and striving and and the entry into a life lived on the basis of faith and trust and obedience and the promises of God. I, I, it's, it's really this. It's the difference between wilderness wandering and promised land living. The crossing of the Jordan. So this is an awesome story. And between these two realities of wilderness wandering and promised land living, there was this river river that flowed through the midst of the valley, the Jordan River, and it represented something, as we're going to see this morning, it represented an impossible crossing. It represented a river of impossibility. The Jordan is really, the Jordan River is a picture of death. That's what it is. That's why John the Baptist's ministry happened there, that he was baptizing people. People were buried in the Jordan River in baptism, and they were raised in in repentance and in faith into the kingdom of God. And so the The Jordan River is a picture of death. And and so here between wilderness wandering and promised land living is this river of impossibility, this river that is a picture of death. Now, when we look at Joshua chapter three, the Lord had raised up this man, Joshua, and Joshua was leading the children of Israel on this new journey of faith. Uh, They had the people, millions of them, had amassed on the eastern shore of the Great Rift Valley there where the Jordan River is, the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea. They're down towards the Dead Sea on the eastern side. There were men there, women, their children, their possessions, their human possessions, their, their livestock, their cattle, their sheep, their goats, their flocks. Everything that they had 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 just been accumulated and they had come to that eastern shore of the Jordan River. And over 40 years, the Bible tells us that they had been wandering in the wilderness. It's amazing. Their clothes had not worn out. The soles of their sandals had not worn off their feet. They had had a daily supply of manna, bread from heaven. They had been led by day by a pillar of cloud. They had been led by night by a pillar of fire. 
I would say this, yeah, they were wandering in the wilderness, yes, but they still were experiencing God's provision after being led out of slavery in Egypt. They'd come out of Egypt, they had crossed uh, through the Red Sea on dry ground, the Lord had gone before them, the Lord had caused the fear of them to fall on the nations around them, and having come this far after 40 years of wilderness and a generation passing away there in the wilderness, Uh, They come to this place where the inheritance lay on the far shore, on the western shore, and now before them, the Jordan River, a river of impossibility. Now, I know some of you guys have been to Israel with us, and you you think, well, the Jordan River, I've seen it, it's kind of small, but as we're going to see here, this this was a different time. The geography of things and how that river flowed was different. This was an impossible crossing for the people of God. Maybe a million and a half, two and a half million, maybe three million people needing to cross this river with all of their possessions. And I, I think to, it's, it's fair to wonder as they're, they're, as they're there in that valley looking across, knowing the city of Jericho's across there and they've got to cross this body of water. It, it, it's fair to wonder what was their level of confidence? What was their level of expectancy in the Lord? Should they be confident? I'd say, yeah. I actually think that as I read this, that they were confident. The Lord had proven his faithfulness to them time and time again. They were led by Joshua, God's chosen men. They, they should be confident that God would lead them into their inheritance. And here's what I would say for you and I. Shouldn't we be the same? Like when we think of the Lord and all of the promises that God has given us, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So as the children of God, as the people of God, should we not be confident that God will lead us? Should we not be confident in the Lord to step out in faith and follow him? Because just like the Lord had proven his faithfulness to the children of Israel time and time again, let me ask you this. Hasn't the Lord shown you his faithfulness time and time again? I mean, hasn't he shown you that? He's done that in my life just time and time again. The Lord has proven to me and shown me his faithfulness and that I can trust him. And so it's amazing as you think about this river, here's what I would say about this river that lay before them. Maybe you might even want to write this down in the margin of your Bible. See, this river was not a test of faith. This river was an opportunity for faith. Not a test of faith, but an opportunity for faith. You know, some speak of the testing of faith. That's what some people speak about. And then others, others speak of opportunities for faith. And this was an opportunity for faith in the living God. This this river of impossibility that lay before them, well, thankfully, they serve and we serve a God with whom nothing is impossible, with whom all things are possible. And it's amazing, you know, just to stop and think about this as we consider this story, the attitudes that we can have in regards to faith and opportunities for faith. We say, well, this is a test of my faith or this is an opportunity for me to have faith. You know, we look at things in our lives and we go, wow, man, that's impossible. That situation's impossible. That problem might be impossible. That, that situation might be difficult. And we can view things in this life. Hey, listen, church, listen. We can view things in this life like corona. Let's say the coronavirus and all that's happened in this world. We could say this. We could say, well, this is something we have to endure in these days. Or we could say this, this is an opportunity to exercise faith 
in Jesus Christ. And here's where these people were. I mean, they were on the shores of this river, and this was an opportunity for them to demonstrate their faith in the Lord. You know, I was thinking about it. You know, gold, gold, like just precious metal, it's amazing. There's a, there's a reason why we say you have to mine for gold. You have to mine for it. What would be the value of gold if it was just, you know, on the surface? If I could go down to the beach somewhere on the Sunshine Coast and just pick gold rocks up off the beach, like what would be the value of it? No, the value of gold is found in this, that you have to mine for it. You have to, you have to dig for it. And painful circumstances in our lives, impossible situations, difficult situations, listen, here's what I would tell you about those things. There is gold in those hills. There is gold in those hills who, for those who are willing in Christ Jesus to dig, to look for the opportunities of faith. And, and that's the place you have here in this story. The opportunity for God to prove himself. Once again, fresh from the vine, the faithfulness of God who is sufficient for all things when you and I are insufficient. He never fails those who trust in him. There's gold in those hills. You know, you think about all that God's done for you and I to save us, all the goodness of God that he's, you know, Ron led us in singing. Uh, or we didn't sing, sorry, I was thinking we sang the goodness of God today. We didn't. We sang good, good father. But we talk about the goodness of our father and all the things that he's given us. Look at God's given us grace. But you know, grace, he didn't just give us his grace to comfort us. He gave us his grace for us to use, to move forward in his unmerited favor. God's given us his promise. His promises. He didn't, he didn't give me the promises of scripture so that I'd stare at him and go, wow, that's so amazing. He gave me the promises so in wonder I'd learn to claim them and to walk with them. You know, God gives us encouragement. He, does, he gives us encouragement to strengthen us, but he doesn't just give us encouragement to strengthen us, but he gives us encouragement so that we would mo be motivated to move forward for him in ventures of faith. Or how about faith? You know, God gives us faith. He gives us faith to save us, but he gives us faith not just to save us, he gives us faith so that we would live a life that honors King Jesus. And this chapter, I think about this chapter, Joshua chapter 3, this is a chapter that's about passing from one level of Christian living to a new level of faith in Christ Jesus. And here's how it begins. Take note of how it starts. Check out verse 1. I love how this starts. It says this, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, and he had all the people of Israel lodged there before they passed over. So look at the first thing that we read here on this passing over of the Jordan River and how it begins, how this new level of living is about to begin. And it begins this way. Joshua rose early in the morning. See, so yeah, we're going to see this many times in Joshua, that Joshua was an early riser. Joshua spent the first hours of the day with the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, getting his instructions from the Lord. It's amazing that we turn to the New Testament and we see this about Jesus, that this was the practice of Jesus, that he'd rise up early in the morning. He'd go off to solitary places. He'd spend time with the Lord. 
Isaiah actually prophesied this in Isaiah chapter 50. It's prophesied that Jesus would give his back to those who beat him. He would give his face to those who would rip out his beard, pull out his beard, because of this reason. Because morning by morning, his ear was awakened to hear the voice of the Lord. And he would go and he would spend time with the Lord. And then Isaiah says, and the Lord would open his ear and instruct him. You go check it out for yourself, Isaiah chapter 50. That's why Jesus gave his back. That's why Jesus gave his face to be beaten. Because the Lord had opened his ears and he had given his ears to the Lord. And the Lord instructed him and Jesus was not rebellious to the instructions of the Lord. He did not turn his back on the command of the Lord. And, the, and Isaiah says the Lord helped him. And Jesus set his face, Isaiah says, like, like flint. And he, and he knew that he would not be put to shame because the Lord was going to vindicate him. You know, it started for Jesus. It started this way. Morning by morning, he was in the presence of God. And Joshua, we read here, rose early. He spent time with the Lord. And Jesus spent time with the Lord. And Joshua rose early in the morning because he knew that it was impossible. It was impossible to live a life of faith if you ignore the presence of God. If you ignore the time of prayer, if you ignore the time of the word, it's impossible to live a life of faith. It's impossible. Well, it says here in this text that they set out from this place called Shittim. That sounds like a really crappy place when I read that. That's what I think. I don't know what else to say. I mean, it sounds like something's lost in translation when I read that. I'm like, I ter I'm terrified. You know, I was thinking about this sermon, getting ready. I'm like, I don't like the name of that place. I don't want to say the name of that place. It sounds like you're swearing when you're preaching. And you know, as far as my highly trained ear is and my my master, in, you know, my personal mastery of the English language, when I look at that name, I, I, I would conclude this, that that sounds like a place you want to leave behind. That's what I would say. It sounds like a place that you don't want to be from. Imagine that if that, if that was the name of your town, you know, <laughs> you'd spend your life hearing endless jokes and mockery of that name. But at least you'd know your occupation from an early age. You'd be a plumber. That would be my guess. So here's the truth, though. Here's the truth. When you look at that, something is lost in translation. I want you to catch it because it's worth catching, okay? That name means this. It means the place of the acacia tree. It means the groves of acacia trees. So contrary to what it sounds like in English, this was actually a place you would want to live, <laughs> It, it would be a place where you'd be quite happy to build a home. You, you could make a life there. You could make a life in this place. But, but here's the thing. It would be a compromise. You could build a life there, but it would be a compromise because God's promise lay on the other side of the river. And it's amazing how often you and I face this. We go, wow, I, I could build a life here. I could do this here. And God says, no, but... That's a compromise. What I have for you lays on the other side of this river of impossibility. And I want to I take you there. You, you can settle there and it'll be good. But it won't be my best for you. It won't be my best. So Joshua led the people he'd heard from the Lord. And here's what he did. They, they made the journey from that 16, 16 kilometers from, from Shittim. I don't even want to say it. We'll just call it the place where they manufactured toilets. Okay. 
So they left there and they came to the Jordan River. Now check out verse 2. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. So, you know, so far in this study through uh, Joshua, we've seen this reference to the three-day period in every single chapter. It's very interesting that in each chapter, there is something that is associated to this three-day period. And it makes me think, as we've been pointing out, about that, that most important three days in history. The three days uh, that began with the crucifixion of Jesus and him being buried in a tomb, and then on the third day, he rose from the dead. The third day, we celebrate the resurrection of the dead. And, and three days, I would just say to you, three days, we should associate this with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is, this is a picture of something dying and something being born again, something coming to life. It's the picture of the conclusion of the self-life through death. And it's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus and the Jesus-empowered uh, life through resurrection. Resurrection life. It, self is going to die and there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. There's going to be new life in Christ Jesus. And so the officers of the people went through the camp and Joshua tells us here that he, he instructed them to teach this. They commanded the people that as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and you shall follow it. So it's amazing. You know, just think about this. The people have journeyed. They've come down the valley. They're at the edge of the river camp there millions of them all their stuff we can just try to imagine what that looked like that camp looked like as they had lodged there overnight and for three days they looked across to the promised land and yet I don't think that they were focused on what was in front of them in the far distance but they were focused on the thing that was right in front of them that body of water that river the Jordan River they had to face the fact that that to enter the promised land, they had to go through this river, but they had no means to cross it. They had no ability to cross it. I mean, how many rafts and how many boats can you build to bring that many people across the Jordan River? And it was the springtime. We lead, read later in this chapter that it was springtime. In fact, it was just four days before the Passover. And most of the time, the Jordan River was about 100 feet wide in those days. And those of you who have been there to Israel in the last number of years with us, you know that it, it's not that wide now, but in those days it was about 100 feet wide except in springtime. In springtime there was no dikes to control the river, there was no dams to control the water flow, nothing like that. And, and in the springtime this river that was just 100 feet wide normally at flood time would, would stretch out across that valley and it would spread about a mile wide. A mile, it was, it was a significant crossing to get across the Jordan River. And in Joshua's day, that was an impassable obstacle. And there the children of Israel are camping on the shores of that river and they're left there for three days to just stare at the river. They had to face the facts. They had to face the facts that there was no way they were going to cross that river on their own. 
millions of them with their children and their livestock. I go, wow, why did the Lord have them sit there for three days? Why did they have to sit there for three days before they could cross over? Here's why I would tell you they had to sit there. They had to sit there because they had to realize that in and of themselves, they were hooped with regards to getting across that river. It couldn't be done. They were utterly and totally helpless on their own. You know, it's amazing that that's how God often deals with us. That's how he has to deal with us so often, you know. He brings us into situations, circumstances, happenstances, where we come to this place, we go, man, I'm insufficient for this. I can't do this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get past this. I feel helpless. And you come to, what happens is, is you, you see these situations in your life and you come to the end of yourself and you say, Lord, I don't know. You got to help me, Lord. I, I've got to look to God. And you know, it's just amazing. Just human beings, we're, we're this way, that, that men and women are, are naturally this way. We want to be self-reliant. We want to be independent. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to, you know, have autonomy over our lives. We want to be self-governing. We don't want anyone to rule over us. By nature, that's how we are. I mean, who among us wouldn't say this, by nature that I'm proud? You know, by nature I'm self-sufficient. By nature I'm self-willed, man. I'll do it my way, when I want, how I want. And the Jordan River, in this story, the Jordan River presented a situation kind of like being cornered where there's no way out, there's no escape, there's, there's no getting out of this corner, there's no way negotiating your way out, there's no way thinking your way out. It's just you stare at that river and you're like, we're done. We can't do this. We have no hope. That's what the Jordan River presented, a corner that you can't get yourself out of. You, you ever, have you ever played with a Chinese finger trap? Remember those Chinese finger traps? I had one of those when I was a kid. And the more you fight this Chinese, you know, you stick your finger in either end, you got a finger in either side, and the more you fight to get your finger out, the tighter the trap clinches down on your finger. And you realize it's not until you figure this out that you actually have to surrender to the trap. You, you actually have to, instead of stop fighting and stop trying to pull your finger out, you, you have to give up resistance and relax. And when you relax... You can get your finger out of the trap. You know, it's amazing. The Lord kind of works in similar ways. Where he brings you to this place of trusting surrender. Where he's like, stop fighting me. Stop wrestling against me. Come, come to the end of yourself and turn and confess that you need me. And, and stop pulling against me. Because I want to do something that's greater than you could ask or imagine if you just let me work. See, only Jesus can set us free from the trap. Only Jesus can free us, the Bible says, from the law of sin and death, that we're, that we're trapped in sin. And only Jesus did the work of the cross to save you and I. And, you know, I just think about it, I'm like, man, I'm such a slow learner. All the time I get myself in these situations and I fight and I pull and I, and I wrestle. And time and time again, the Lord has to school us, is to teach us. Over and over again, he has to bring us to the end of ourselves, to the end of our resources, making us conscious of our insufficiency. And then he says, 
Let me work. Let me show you what I want to do. And so the children of Israel, for three days, they stared at the river and they concluded, man, there's no hope here. The Jordan, it's a a symbol of death. Self Self has to die here so that I rely on God to take me where he wants to go. And I, and I won't get there in my efforts. The, the going, this is going to be a journey of faith where I have to work with the Lord. And you know, as we consider this text, I would just ask you, I mean, there's so many crazy things going on in the world. And I, and I think, well, what problem are you facing? What difficulty are you facing? What obstacle are you facing? Have you... Have you come to realize your own helplessness yet? Have you handed the lordship and the rule of your life over to Jesus? Have you handed your life over to the Lord? He said, Lord, this is impossible. I need you. I need you to work. You know, I think about the children of Israel all those years where they were wandering in the wilderness and God was leading them with a pillar of, of cloud, but now... Now as they're getting ready to enter the promised land, God is going to begin to lead them in a new way, a different way. He's going to direct them with a a different type of leading. The cloud was no longer going to be with them. The manna was no longer going to come down from heaven every day. There was not going to be a pillar of fire anymore at nighttime. There was going to be a new kind of leading, and it's interesting to see this, and it's important, because this is important for us to understand entering into the life of promise with Jesus, and how Jesus leads. Joshua told them, you're going to have to follow the Ark of the Covenant. When you see the priests get up, and they start to go with that Ark of the Covenant, then, then you follow now the Ark of the Covenant. There won't be a cloud. And this is so important to the crossing. The Ark of the Covenant is actually mentioned 16 times in Joshua chapter 3 and 4 by name, the Ark of the Covenant. And then it's referenced a, a bunch of other times for a total of 21 times the Ark of the Covenant is referenced in Joshua chapter 3 and 4. And the Ark of the Covenant is the central... I don't know, object? Yeah, object. The central object at the, at, in the middle of this miraculous story. And when the time came, Joshua says this, when the time comes and God begins to move, you're going to need to turn your eyes towards the Ark of the Covenant. And you're going to need to follow the Ark of the Covenant and you're going to have to fix your eyes on it as we cross the Jordan. You know, the Ark of the Covenant is just kind of this mysterious thing, isn't it? You know, like, if you're an Indiana Jones lover, you know, you know, there's just mystery, there's mystery around the Ark of the Covenant. Even today, there remains so much mystery around the Ark of the Covenant. People go, well, where is it? Do, do they have it in Israel? Is it hidden here? What happened? What happened to the Ark of the Covenant? It's this mysterious thing. This Ark was a, a wooden box inlaid with gold, overlaid on the exterior with gold. Inside it were the two tablets that were inscribed with the finger of God, the Ten Commandments. The cover of the ark was solid gold. On the top of it, it had two cherubim wing, uh, angels molded on the top with their wings outstretched over the center of the, this lid that went on the, on the ark. And 
On this cover, this solid gold cover, once a year the high priest would come and he would present the blood of the sacrifice and sin would be covered, it would be atoned for. And the ark, this cover, this lid on the ark of the covenant was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And it's amazing that inside was the law, but then on top of the law was this cover of mercy where blood, where the blood of the sacrifice was applied so that sin could be atoned for. And and the Bible tells us that this Ark of the Covenant amongst the children of Israel was the throne of God. It was where the presence of God was amongst His people, His throne. And if Israel was to enter the Promised Land, they were going to have to fix their eye now, not on a pillar of cloud, but they were going to have to fix their eye on the covenant relationship that they had with God. The covenant relationship was to direct their future. You know, it's interesting when you think about that. It's like, yeah, you, you, have, to, you have to change the focus of your life. And what's your focus on? Sometimes this happens for us as followers of Jesus, as Christians. There's a time, there's a time, there was a time in my life when God's past deliverances directed me. When, when I would do this, I could look back and go, oh yeah, God took me from that. We're going this way. And, and there's a time as a Christian, as you're growing and you're learning, you go, oh yeah, right, I left that behind. Oh yeah, right, God saved me from that. Oh yeah, that was Egypt. Slavery's back there. It's back behind me. But then there comes a time as you begin to enter the promises of God and grow in maturity where the, there has to be a switch from looking backward to looking forward. Where the focus and the truth and the reality of your covenant relationship with God directs your life. Where it, when it's less about where you've been and more about where God is going, where he's leading you. You know, it's amazing in the New Testament, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus shared the Passover with his 12 disciples. He gave them bread. He told them, this bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. After supper, he pulled out a cup and he said, this, this cup, he gave it to them. He said, this cup that is this cup is poured out for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. This represents my blood. My body broken, the work of the cross, my, my blood poured out for the sin of mankind. And see, I, I would tell you this, our entrance into the promised life happens just like it did for the children of Israel. Our eye has to be fixed on what we have in Christ on what we've been given in Christ. Our eye has to be fixed upon the covenant relationship. Our eye has to be fixed on the covenant relationship on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that's been poured out for you and I. Jesus is our very life and, and the exercise of God's power on our, in our lives is, is regulated on the basis of our submission to him. And so there comes a point in time when I got to stop looking backwards and I got to start looking forward and say, it's all about the blood of Jesus. I'm going forward in this covenant relationship. I've been purchased. I've been bought. And I'm going to submit to the Lord morning by morning like Joshua. Morning by morning like Jesus 
Lord, I'm going to turn my ear to you. Open my ear, Lord, so that I'll learn to walk this way with you. So I'll learn what it means, Lord, to walk in resurrection life. So I'll learn what it means, Lord, to walk in, in, the, promised, in, in the promises. It's amazing that the Bible tells us the mercy of God is new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. And we fix our eye on Jesus. We look forward. And Israel was to follow the Ark of the Covenant. When it moved, they moved. And we can't move, church. We can't move from the self-life until we focus our eye on Christ Jesus. We have to have a clear, personal view of Jesus and the work of the cross and the blood that was shed for us. That's where we fix our eye. Now look at verse 4. It says this, Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. That's amazing. I read that and I go, wow, it's exciting. It's exciting when God begins to take you to places that you've never been before. He says, you're not going to know the way. You won't know the way unless I lead you. So you're going to have to have your eye fixed here. Now look at verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So on the shores of the Jordan, as they're about ready to enter the promised land, Joshua's instruction was this, you need to consecrate yourself. The word often that, that we use is sanctify. You've got to be sanctified, which is a real churchy word, you know. You go, wow, it's a mysterious word. What does that mean? Well, consecrate or be sanctified, those are words that mean your life has to be, well, you're called to be holy. That your life is called to be set apart unto God. Set apart from the things of this world and set apart unto Jesus. And so that's the idea of consecrate yourself, sanctify yourselves. It's a call to holiness. And this is a requirement that the Lord lays on every generation. Every generation needs to have its heart set aside, its life set aside unto the Lord. We're, we're called to do the same. Just like Israel, if they were to enter the promised land, they had to consecrate themselves. If we're to enter, you know, leave the self-life and enter the Christ-centered life, we've got to consecrate ourselves. We've got to set our lives aside. And, and it's amazing to think about this because the only difference between Israel and us is this, is that for them, their sanctification, their consecration, their idea of holiness consisted of, you know, ceremonial washings and, and rituals and external purification, you know, just dress up the outside and be holy, play the part, look right. But the new covenant in Christ's blood, when it speaks of holiness and consecration and sanctification, it requires not outward conformity, but an inner transformation. You got to be born again. Your heart has to be given over to the Lord. Your heart has to Turn from sin and repentance and turn in faith to Christ Jesus. And, and when the inner transformation happens, the outward life just begins to adjust and follow suit. And, you know, I think about this call here, consecrate yourselves. It'd be easy for me just to go, ah, let's breeze over this. Let's kind of ignore that part of the story. But I would tell you this, it's crucial that you don't. 
This is crucial. For the life that looks forward to entering into promise, there's got to be a consecration. There has to be a sanctification. The Lord said, be holy as I am holy. If you're to move forward from the self-life in Christ, you have to partner with the Lord in consecrating yourself to him. Be holy as I am holy. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. It, to me, it, it reminds me of Rahab again. I remember last week we talked about Rahab, that, that her faith was proven by her works, that she was justified not just by faith alone, but justified by her works of faith. Prepare yourself. The Lord says through Joshua, because tomorrow I'm about to do wonders in your midst. That's exciting. It makes me think of the parables Jesus told and the things he talked about his second coming. Jesus is coming, church. When Jesus spoke about his coming, he told his followers about the need to be ready. That you had to be ready. That you had to be prepared. That you had to have your lamp trimmed. That you needed your oil and your lamp filled. You had to be ready to, to, for the coming of the bridegroom, to be prepared and watching. There was a, a need to be consecrated, sanctified, set apart unto the Lord. And that's the call here in this passage. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The call is the same for you and I today. Set our lives apart unto the Lord. We'll look at verse 6. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. The Ark's out front. It's leading. The presence of God is leading. Verse 7. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you shall come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Wow, I love this. The Lord says to Joshua, Today I am going to begin to exalt you in the eyes, in the sight of all Israel. To me, that sounds just like what the Father did for his son Jesus at the cross. Jesus, the greater Joshua, God has exalted him in the sight of all. The sight of all. And I, I just think that it, remember this, this exaltation of Jesus didn't just happen at the cross, it happened at the Jordan River. Remember when he went and met John the Baptist there and he said, John, you're going to baptize me? John said, no way, man. And he said, John, this is fitting, it's right, for these, this is proper, we have to do this. So John said, okay, I'll baptize you. And so Jesus was baptized in the water and when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God, the Scripture says, descended on him in the form of a dove and rested on him. And a voice spoke from heaven and said, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Happened at the Jordan River for Joshua. God exalted him in the sight of all Israel. For the greater Joshua, Jesus, it happened in the sight of all Israel. He was exalted at the Jordan River. And it's amazing that the priests are commanded, they're instructed, you come to the edge of the Jordan, it's at the flood stage, it's a mile wide. Just get your toes in the water, and then you stand there. You stand there, and you begin to just watch God work. Man, it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 6, 
where we are instructed with regards to the armor of God and, and the battles that were involved, that, that we should stand and having done all should take our stand. These priests, they stood. All they did was stand in the water and God began to work. That river just began to recede as we're about to read here. Check out verse 9. And Joshua said to the people, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Boy, this is, this is where Joshua is just, verse 9, just an amazing picture. I'm going to read it again here. Amazing picture of the Lord Jesus. This is what Jesus did. Come here and listen to the word. Come here and listen. He just taught the word of God to the people. So verse 9 again. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he, without fail, will drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites, and the Parasites. No, that's not in there. Verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Wow, amazing. So Joshua instructs uh, the priests and then he instructs the people and, and he doesn't magnify himself. Joshua wasn't lifting up himself. He, he says, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And he called the Lord this. He called the Lord the, the living God. He called him uh, the living God in contrast to all of these nations that he mentions and, and their idol gods, you know, that they worshiped. And he called God the Lord of all the earth. And and here is the, the God who is going to defeat their idol gods, the Lord who is going to lead, the Lord of all the earth, who's going to lead his people wherever he wants to lead them because the earth belongs to him. And Joshua told them, as soon as the, as soon as the feet of the souls of the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant come to rest in the waters of the Jordan, the river is going to cease to flow and the passage is going to be clear. The path is going to open up the way is going to be made and i i can't help but think of what we saw a few weeks ago in joshua chapter 1 verse 3 where the lord promised joshua every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon i've given to you and here's these priests they enter the waters of the jordan and the waters are cut off it's amazing that upstream those waters just begin to pile up in a heap that that the Lord was like there was an invisible wall, an invisible dam, an invisible fortress. And that, that water just began to heap up, heap up, heap up. I don't know, I imagine just this massive lake growing. And meanwhile, the water on the lower end of the river just, it just ran dry. And they, they stood there on dry ground. This is amazing. It's a miracle. Now look at verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water. And then he tells us, now, now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of harvest. This is in the springtime. And then verse 16, 
The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that was beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Amazing. Again, you know, imagine, imagine the people in Jericho looking across that river, those days going, well, just calculating. Well, we've probably got until late summer before the river starts to get small and dries up enough so that these people can cross over. And we've probably, you know, at a minimum here, we've got days and, and best, best case scenario, we've got months before these children of Israel come. And, and so we can prepare our city and we can prepare our provisions and, and we better get ready for all that's about to happen. But what happened? God dried up the river. And the people crossed over at Jericho. But, but notice this. I, I want you to notice this. This is kind of interesting where the water's piled up. You see where the water's piled up? The waters piled up river at a city named Adam near Zarethan. You know, I thought, wow, that's, that's so weird. I, I looked up for the city of Adam in Scripture. There's no other mention of it in Scripture. Not anywhere. There's no mention of the city of Adam anywhere else in the Bible. In fact, probably, if, I, I mean, help me out, but I never, I, I didn't look, but I don't imagine that you can find a map with the city of Adam on it. The only other reference in the Bible to Adam is to the first human, you know, Adam that God made in the garden. And so this city and the location of Adam is mentioned nowhere else in the Bible or in Scripture. We're just told it was near Zarethan. I'm supposing on the Jordan River. And so I go, well, what's the meaning of that? Why is it found nowhere else except in this one place? were all the waters of the Jordan heaped up on this city. An overwhelming flood. And for the residents of those city, that city would have been an overwhelming flood of death that was heaped up upon the city of Adam. Now Adam, in the Bible, just that character, Adam, that man, Adam, that person, Adam is the father of the human family. And we know because Adam, because of Adam and Adam's sin, every single one of us was born in sin. Every single one of us was conceived in sin. Every single one of us was condemned to death. For the wages of sin is death. And we're born in Adam, you and I. And what was taking place at the Jordan River, I would say this. It, like I told you, it represents death and resurrection. I, I would even go for so, so far as to say this, that it represents for us, it's an Old Testament illusion picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the work on the cross and all that was accomplished on the cross. You see, the work of the cross not only reaches forward from the, you know, 33 AD to 2020, and the work of the cross not only has power to save us today, and, and the blood of Jesus not only has power to cleanse you and I of our of our sin today, but it also, the work of the cross also reaches backward. It heaps up backwards to Adam. It heaps up to the beginning of the human family. The waters of the Jordan heaped up to Adam. That's what it says. This, this is a picture of the saving work of Jesus. And it's amazing that the city of Adam is never mentioned again in the scripture. Never again. 
But the Holy Spirit is, as I would say, expressing the far-reaching effect of the work of the cross of Jesus, Jesus to save. And the author wrote something here that prophesied the incredible reach of the work of Jesus. It's his power to save. The power of the cross to save. Now check out verse 17. Actually, let's read 16 and 17. It says this in 16. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the sea of, of the Arabah. The salt sea were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now verse 17. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Amazing, these priests step in, place their foot in the water, and uh, the river just stops flowing and begins to heap up as they stand on the edge of the water. But then as the as the water recedes, they do this, they move into the middle of the river. And this is important. We're going to talk about this next week. The Ark of the Covenant moves into the middle of the river. And they wait there. <laughs> Those poor priests, man. That was a tough job that day because they had to stand there while the people of God, the children of Israel, passed through on dry ground. It's amazing that it tells us that the priests stood there on dry ground until all of the nation finished passing over the Jordan. And this amazing miracle happens that, that God's children who are facing an impossibility, facing something that is so beyond themselves, facing something in which there's no human solution, on the edge of that river, God makes a way as they focus on the Ark of the Covenant, and they recognize that their lives are going to be directed by the covenant relationship that they have with the Lord, and they focus in there, and, and the priests move into the water. God just miraculously works and removes that obstacle. And we're going to pick up this story next week. I feel kind of bad because it's like you've got to kind of leave it partially hanging here this morning, so you'll just have to come back and join us next week. But I, I just want to leave you with a few application points this morning. And here they are. Number one is this. Have you come to the end of yourself yet? Have you come to the end of yourself? And maybe you're tuning in and you're watching us this morning and uh, you don't know Jesus maybe. Or maybe you do know Jesus. And you, you're looking out on this world and you're like looking for a solution and you're wondering. The question is this. Have you come to the end of yourself because you need a solution outside of yourself. You need a solution outside of yourself. And if you haven't figured that out, if you haven't come to the end of yourself, here's what I would just challenge you to do. You need to take a little bit better look at the impossibilities here. You need to take a little bit better look at the obstacle that's in front of you. And you need to recognize that the Bible says this, the obstacle that's in front of you is sin. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, sin and death present for you and I an impossible, impassable obstacle. And a way has to be made. And I'll tell you this, that Jesus has made the way through his death and resurrection and the work of the cross. And so 
You know, as you consider, have I come to the end of myself? Here's what I would challenge you to do. You, you need to contemplate the cross of Jesus Christ. You need to think about the cross. You need to think about all that Jesus has done for you, and then you need to give yourself to Jesus. And just maybe even as a follower of Jesus, you need to do that in, in a fresh way. Say, Lord, I, I give myself to you. I consecrate myself to you. Jesus, in these days, I want to be prepared for what you have. I want to enter into what you have. And so, Lord, by faith, I'm going to partner with you. By faith, I'm going to get to work. I'm going to just set my life aside unto you. I'm going to give you more time. I'm going to give it, get up in the morning and spend more time with you. I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to commit myself to holiness in fresh ways. I'm going to commit my life to sanctification in fresh ways. Another application I want to leave you with is this. Just set your eye on Jesus. Fix your eye on Jesus. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. You focus your life and your, and your heart and your desire on the work of Jesus and the cross. See, the crossing, I think back, if I was just to go back to the book of Exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea pictured the children of Israel being delivered out of slavery. It pictured the believer, you and me, the followers of Jesus, being delivered from sin and death and the cro- that, was the, that was the crossing of the Red Sea, but the crossing of the Jordan pictures a follower of Jesus beginning to enter his inheritance in the Lord, claiming the promises of God, leaving the self-life for the Christ-centered life. And this is an amazing story because Joshua was out in front of the children of Israel leading them. And Joshua is a type, a picture of Jesus for us in the Bible. And Jesus wants to lead us day by day into our inheritance in him. Let's fix our eye on Jesus. Let's leave the self-life church for the Christ-centered life. Would you bow your head with me? And I just want to pray for you. And just as you're you're bowing your head, and worship team's going to come in a minute. We're going to close in a song. I want to read a scripture to you. And I'm going to actually ask you to just close your eye. Close your eye. And listen for a minute. Let me read this scripture over you. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says this. But it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us. Lord, we just thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for all of the things that have been given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your spirit that we might comprehend these things, Lord. That we might comprehend them, Lord. And we look at the book of Joshua and we can see there are spiritual things in this story to be comprehended and it's about our inheritance with you. Lord, I pray that you would lead each one of us to the end of ourselves where we'd stop looking to ourselves, stop trying to be self-sufficient, stop trying to be independent, self-governing, proud, self-willed. And we'd fix our eye on Jesus and follow where you lead. 
Lord, would you bless your people this morning? Just strengthen them, encourage them, pour out your grace upon them, fill them with the spirit of faith. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities of faith in Jesus' name. Amen.